Devotion to the Word of God is paramount for every Christian. But how does one rightly interpret Scripture? This holy book is sacred. This holy book must be read and understood correctly. You're listening to the Book of Jude. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Book of Jude. Hey, it's been a long time, and you know what I realized is we've been in this series uh, ever since season three started of the Old Testament and Revelation. We've been in this series for over a year. Now, part of that reason is because I don't record on a regular basis. I record when I have time. No one's paying me to do this. I just do it uh, because of my love for it. But, um, yeah, we've been, we've been at this for over a year and I feel it. And I'm sure if I feel it, you probably feel it too. So, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to come to a halfway point. And once we come to that halfway point, we are going to stop, take a break. And once we stop and take a break, we're going to uh, we'll be able, I'll be able to do other things. We'll talk about, we'll have a podcast about other topics and things. And so, um, and just let us all rest from this, uh, very in-depth, uh, series. And of course we'll come back to it because, you know, we, we will, I love it. Lord willing, right? We're going to get into what I would call the last segment. So without any further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, so if you remember, we're still in Revelation 9. We didn't get very far. We did not get very far at all. Uh, but I do have a correction. I think I, well, I know I skipped over something. Revelation 9, 11, when it says they have, a, they have as a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, it's Apollyon. And I said that um, this being is bad and believed to be Satan, and... Uh, because Abaddon means destruction, uh, Apollyon means destroyer. But what I failed to mention that, yes, this being is bad and believed to be Satan. So Abaddon could be a place or location. And this also, as we've seen thus far, could be a place or location that is personified. Now, I had to reach out to people smarter than you and I, to, to my group, and... It's easy to connect their king, uh, the ones in a bomb, bottomless pit, and if they have a leader, it's very easy for our minds to go to the devil character. Uh, but the devil is not in chains, number one, and there's no direct connection to Genesis 6, sons of God. And there's really not. There's really no um, direct connection between the devil character and the Genesis 6, sons of God. So we have to be careful uh, doing that, and I, I believe that I might have, I, well, I believe that I steered us kind of, I put a thought in your head last time um, that might have steered that in the wrong direction, so I want to correct myself. Um, now, in Revelation 20, and this is, this is a place where we see a lot of correlation, and this is why it gets really uh, complicated and we have to be very careful. So Revelation 20, 
verse 1 to 3, I'm going to read it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Now, that's telling us, I mean, we're, we're kind of taken back to Revelation 9, all right? And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now, you see, you read that and you're like, well, okay, well, it sounds like you were right. Well, we have to, we're talking about Revelation 9 all the way to Revelation 20. And so this is the only, to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only passage that links the dragon, the ancient serpent, which could be a serpent or a dragon, and who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. So there's an angel. Let's just imagine Christ giving him the keys to the death and Hades and the bottomless pit, the lower, the Tartarus, the lowest of low of Hades. Hey, go down there and bind those those bad beans down there, right? And then we see this episode in 20. He's also doing it to the Satan character, all right? So again, yes, it's very easy to um, group all these together. But for the sake of us just being able to move forward, we're going to look at these as two separate events, and we're going to look at the first, the Genesis 6 sons of God, who were bound all the way back then, where we read in Genesis, of course, um, the ones who left their abode, the ones that First Peter and Jude are talking about, and they're referring to um, Enoch, and their story is in the book of Enoch, and they have been bound and changed this whole time. There's that episode, and then eventually, because the devil is not in chains, and there's no direct connection from uh, that that Satan was, is Abaddon, okay? Um, this is another episode where Satan gets bound, the devil character, okay? So, <laughs> you see how I could have messed that up? Yeah, it's it's very very it's easy to make a mistake there let's just say that all right so reminder from last time the fifth and the fifth angel blew his trumpet a star quote unquote a star supernatural being was given the keys to the abyss and unlocks the prisoners sons of god who took the human daughters in genesis 6 each of the following passages attest to the angels we find chained in the abyss to be the same ones from Genesis 6. I'm going to, there's too many to read out, but I'm going to give you each and every one of them so you can look it up yourself. So we're not talking about the ancient serpent. We're not talking about uh, the dragon. We're not talking about Satan, the devil. We're just going back to Revelation 9, and we are talking about the prisoners, the sons of God, who took the human daughters in Genesis 6. And these following passages attest to the angels we find chained in the abyss to be the same ones in Genesis 6. First Enoch 10, 4-14, to 
First Enoch eighteen eleven to sixteen, First Enoch nineteen one, First Enoch twenty one seven, First Enoch fifty four one to six, First Enoch eighty eight one to three, First Enoch ninety, twenty three to twenty six, the Book of Jubilees chapter five six to fourteen, Second Peter two four which, I've already shared in previous episodes. And you can also read about the abyss in 4th Ezra 7.36, chapter 7, verse 36, and the prayer of Manasseh uh, 3. God commands these beings to be bound, thrown into darkness, covered in rocks until the day of judgment. These passages also describe the abyss in great detail. So everything I just told you, that's basically the summation. All right, now that we got that understanding out of the way, and I hope you understand it, uh, if not, send me send me your questions. Now we're back. We're in Revelation chapter nine, and I want to read uh, some verses from there, and so we can move forward. So Revelation chapter nine, I'm going to read three to five, and I'm going to read uh, seven to eleven. So we're just skipping verse six. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were not to, they were told, excuse me, not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So in verse five, it talks about torment of scorpion when it stings someone. Um, drop down to verse seven in, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair, like women's hair and their teeth, like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. Power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And then 11, their, their king is Abaddon. This kind of language is common in ancient Jewish and classical literature. Hybridized, theriomorphic, animal-shaped descriptions applied to demon spirits. What in the world could John be speaking of? Is it something new? Is it something that it hasn't happened yet? Or is he basing all of this on an Old Testament passage and repurposing it? Um, yes, just like all the above, every episode, John is basing this on an Old Testament well, not just one, but multiple passages. So uh, this is based on Joel chapter 1 and 2, which we've been in Joel before, a plague of locusts devastating land of Israel. There's even a sound of a trumpet in the intro and the conclusion that takes place. This is Joel 2, 1, and, and verse 15 is the conclusion. And also locusts, eighth Egyptian plague, We've we've dealt with this already, Eighth Egyptian plague, which is locust. This judgment is certainly modeled after the locust plague of Exodus 10. So let's read Exodus 10, 12 to 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt 
for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been seen before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land, they, so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Got another small passage for you. Psalm 105, 33 to 35. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all vegetation in the land and ate up all the fruit of the ground. Now we do see a contrast. In Revelation 9, 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the, the earth or any plant of the tree green plant or, or any tree, but, but only harm those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In verse 5, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of scorpion when it stings someone. So locusts is again compared to a scorpion sting. In the Old Testament, we, we see literal stings in Deuteronomy 8.15, which says, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, which with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock? That's a literal way of saying it. They, they also have a figurative. There's figurative stings found in 1 Kings 12, 11, and 14. Um, verse 14 says, And now... Whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. The torment is mostly spiritual and psychological. Later in Revelation, we'll see torment used as trials before and during the final judgment. We'll see this in Revelation 11:10, Revelation 14:10 to 11. Revelation 18, verse 7, 10, and 15, and Revelation 20, 10. In chapter 8, we see the torment equals the emotional pain of weeping and mourning. In the wisdom of Solomon, which is Apocrypha, um, don't want to be confused with your Old Testament, but therefore, those people were deservedly punished through such creatures and were tormented by a multitude of animals. Wisdom of Solomon 16.1 Wisdom of Solomon 16.4-5 For it was necessary that upon those oppressors inescapable want should come, while to these others it was merely shown how their enemies were being tormented. For when the terrible rage of wild animals came upon your people, and they were being destroyed by the bites of serpents. Your wrath did not continue to end. Wisdom of Solomon 16, 4-5 Beasts and stings of crooked serpents torment Israel's enemies, biting of locusts that the Egyptians suffered. 
wisdom of Solomon 16.9, for they were killed by the bites of locusts and flies, and no healing was found for them because they deserved to be punished by such things. The Egyptians were tormented with a double grief and groaning. For when they were tried, though they were being disciplined in mercy, <laughs> they learned how the ungodly were tormented when judged in wrath. Wisdom of Solomon 11.9. 11.12 says, For a twofold grief possessed them in a groaning at the memory of what had occurred. Now let's remember Exodus 12.30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. The demonic beings caused by the Egyptians to be so psychologically tormented that they were extremely fearful and depressed. Wisdom of Solomon is describing how psychologically tormented the Egyptians were, that they were not only extremely fearful, but depressed. Wisdom of Solomon 19.4, for the fate they deserved drew them on to this end and made them forget what happened in order that they might fill up the punishment that, the, that their torment still lacked. And see also Wisdom of Solomon 17, 3 to 21. That's too, too long of a passage for me to read. You see, the torment of idolaters included their deception. Therefore, those who lived unrighteously in a life of folly, you tormented through their own abominations. For they went far astray on the paths of error, accepting as gods those animals that even their enemies despised. They were deceived like foolish infants. Therefore, as though two children who cannot reason, you sent your judgment to mock them. Wisdom of Solomon 12, 23-25. Chaplain Jude, why are you reading everything from Wisdom of Solomon? Because it's painting a picture. It's showing us the backdrop. Unfortunately, these trials did not give them knowledge of Yahweh. It only blinded them, and they remained in ignorance. In a different text, the Testament of Solomon 25.5 reads that the demon gave Pharaoh pangs of anxiety and hardened his heart and the hearts of his subordinates. That's got to be the last of the Solomon. No, I have, I have another one. Through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belonged to his company experienced it. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be disaster. And they're going from us to their destruction, but they are at peace. For though in the sight of others they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, they will receive a great uh, good because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried He tried them, and like sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. Now, this is a big um, passage that, would, that a Catholic would use when they talk about purgatory. But in our point, um, you know, God's people, we lose down here on earth, right? We lose, but uh, 
and it seems to our enemies, it seems like death is the finality, just like it seemed Jesus dying was the finality, the other, uh, whatever you want to call the, the enemy, the uh, the other, the demons, the, the the evil spirits have won. The Romans have won, you know, whatever you want to say, uh, but it's not, right? Um, we He beat death, and therefore we beat death. So uh, all the Christians that have been persecuted, um, the enemies thought, well, we killed them, so therefore we win, they lose. Well, on earth, yes, but... Uh, this is talking about our our hope is uh, full of immortality. So that's that's a beautiful passage. Um, so those on the devil's side, they find death. The souls of the righteous are in God's hands. No torment will touch them. God pro God proved them and found them worthy as gold in a furnace. He tried them and uh, received them as a burnt offering so that that acceptable burnt offering like we saw in the Old Testament. Uh, let's compare Let's compare our text in Revelation 9, 4 to 5. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone, Revelation 9, 4 to 5. So now allow me to read a few of our past passages from Revelation. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy, Revelation 3, 4. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. In white garments, so that you, you may be clothed yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Revelation 3.18 When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation 6, 9-10. God is sovereign. He will protect the righteous. I thought this comparison was good to share. I loved the passages from the wisdom of Solomon and to bring it back home back here in Revelation. It all comes together like a like a big old quilt like a big old quilt that your grandma used to make right all right with that let's take a break and when we come back we're going to look at deuteronomy you're listening to the book of jude connect with us on social media search at book of jude on facebook Instagram and Twitter. Chaplain Jude posts frequently with additional resources for you to further your study of God and His Word. Feel free to ask questions or leave comments. Remember, prayer requests are always welcome. Thank you for listening to the Book of Jude. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Deuteronomy 28 predicts in the latter days, Israel will suffer the plagues of Egypt, including the plagues of locusts because of idolatry. 
This latter-day affliction includes plagues of madness, the LXS says insanity, and bewilderment of the heart, and groping at noon, as the blind man gropes in darkness, being driven mad, trembling heart, despair of soul, their life will hang in doubt, and they will have dread of heart. And in those days, John says, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them, Revelation 9, 6. This explains the torment of verse 5 in a similar psychological manner. Torment is limited, for when the terrible rage of wild animals came upon your people, and they will be destroyed uh, by the bites of the serpents, your wrath did not continue to end. Remember that. I just read that. Wisdom of Solomon 16.5. This asserts that Israel's suffering in the wilderness endured not forever. Wisdom of Solomon and Deuteronomy clearly shows us the Egyptian plagues are still in the background of the text. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed, Deuteronomy 28, 27. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you, Deuteronomy 28, 60. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness, Deuteronomy 32.20. When you are in tribulation, and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, Deuteronomy 4.30. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the vine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. Deuteronomy 28, 38-39. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. Deuteronomy 28, 42. Every sickness also in every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Deuteronomy 28, 61. The point of all this is to know that this is all similar language from the Old Testament and Old Testament literature. I have a lot more from Deuteronomy. <laughs> the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually in their shall be no one to help you, Deuteronomy 28, 28 to 29, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see, Deuteronomy 28, 34. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you trembling heart and failing eyes and a languish, uh, languishing soul, Deuteronomy 28, 65. Let's just continue reading. Verse 66, your life shall hang in doubt before you, Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, If only it were evening, 
and at evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and uh, the sights of your eyes shall see. And that was all the way to 67. And you shall not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left hand to go after other gods to serve them. Deuteronomy 28, 14. In the next generation, your children will rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of the land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where there, where no plant can sprout, an overflow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the, the heat of his great anger? And the people say, It is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which made them when he brought them out of the lands of Egypt. And went and they served other gods and worshipped them, whom they had not known and whom he not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, bringing up upon them all the curses written in this book. That was Deuteronomy 29, 22 to 27, verse 26. The gods they didn't know and the gods that God, Yahweh, did not allot to them. When did God allot anything to anybody? Tower of Babel, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 82. Go read it. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy 30. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. Finally, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenants that I have made for them. Then in my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them. And they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put in their mouths that this song may be witness for me against them, the people of Israel. For when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and they are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me. And break my covenant. Deuteronomy 31, 16 to 20. Let's do a little comparison, shall we? I'm going to read Joel chapter 1, verse 2, and Joel chapter 2, verse 2. Hear this, you elders, give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? 
a darkness, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will ever be again after them through the years of all generations. Now let's read Exodus chapter 10, verse 6 and verse 14. And they shall fill your houses and houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers has ever seen. From the day they came upon the earth this to this day, then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had never been seen before, nor will ever be again. Now let's read Joel 1, 3 and compare it to Exodus 10, 2. Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Exodus 10.2 And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Let's read Joel 2.9 They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. Exodus 10.6, And they shall fill your houses and the house of your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor grandfathers has ever seen from the day they come on the earth to this day, then turned and went out from Pharaoh. I know I just read Exodus 10.6 again, but, but I just want to show you the similarities. One more comparison here. Joel 2.27, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Exodus 10.2 And that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs uh, I have done among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. That was a repeat. Now here's another one, Exodus 8.18 The magicians tried their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on the man and the beasts. And also Exodus 8.22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. And uh, that you, excuse me, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I'm showing you all the comparisons because I don't know if you have heard, but I have been told that the locusts in Revelation could be helicopters. Yeah, so if you've never heard that, <laughs> that I, I hope that sounds crazy to you. But I've been told that the locusts in Revelation, because Revelation is future, 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 those must not be locusts, those must be helicopters. Again... John is just using a lot of Old Testament imagery for us. Let's zero in, shall we, uh, from our helicopters that we call locusts. Let's zero in. So, um, Revelation 9, 7 to 10, I read this. In the appearance of locusts, like horses prepared for battle, on their heads were like uh, the crown of, of gold, crowns of gold, excuse me. Their faces were like human faces, and their hair women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth and had breastplates like iron and noise of their wings was like a noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpion. Their, their power hurt uh, 
people for five months. All right. So let me read Joel 2, 4 to 7. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And like war horses, they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the top of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. Like a powerful army drawn for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow like pale, grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. If you blanked out in this beginning of this episode, listen to that. Revelation 9, 7 to 10 and Joel 2, 4 to 7. That's my point. It is clear what John is doing. You can't get more clear than that. I would also like to read Job, J-O-B, Job 39, 19-25. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? If you don't know, God is talking. Do you? God is, God is responding to Job wanting answers to his questions. I didn't do anything wrong. God, you owe me an explanation. All right. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. And then the LXX and the MT, which is uh, the Masoretic text, he's clothed in terror and with perfect armor. So that was just a bonus. More of war, battle, language, horses, chariots, the rattle. Um, all right, so now we move on to Jeremiah with the Babylon destruction. Jeremiah fifty-one fourteen. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men, as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. Jeremiah fifty-one twenty-seven. drop down the verse 27, set up a standard on the earth, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for war against her, summon against their kingdoms, bring up horses like bristling locusts. Jeremiah fifty one twenty seven and, and actually the Targum, which is an Aramaic translation, the Targum, T-A-R-G-U-M, has troops of nations who are as many as locusts, they and they will lift up their voice, bring up the horses like bristling locusts, bring up the horses against her as a multitude of locusts. Jeremiah 51 should still be in our minds, sound of the trumpet. Burnt mountain cast into the sea. Remember this. Judgment coming against idolatrous persecutors outside of the church. We see in Jeremiah the vindication for Israel and the destruction of Babylon. In the Testament of Solomon 2-4, to 2 to 4, 
uh, demons who have wings fly and resemble human-like lions. So that's also has to be in John's mind. Demons who have wings fly and resemble human-like lions. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Imagine seeing that in your nightmares. And as we progress, Revelation 9, 13 to 21, this is the sixth trumpet. We see the Euphrates River, and we see the enemy from the north. God will use this enemy to punish Israel. So we all know when Israel falls into idolatry, God will uh, use the Assyrians, the Babylonians, um, the quote-unquote enemies from the north or those beyond the Euphrates, uh, he will use them to come and conquer them. So let me just give you a couple of, well, more than a couple. Uh, Isaiah 720, those beyond the Euphrates River, well, those beyond the river, and I just want you to know that that means the Euphrates. Isaiah 8, 7 to 8, it's the Euphrates. Isaiah 14, 31, smoke comes out of the north. Jeremiah 4, 5 to 18, for I bring disaster from the north, a great destruction. Jeremiah 6, 1, disasters looms out of the north, a great destruction. Jeremiah 6, 22, the Lord says, behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Jeremiah 10, 22, a great commotion out of the north. Uh, Jeremiah 13.20, those who come from the north, Ezekiel 38.6, hordes uh, from the uttermost parts of the north, Ezekiel 38.15, army from the north, uttermost parts from the north again in Ezekiel 39.2. So a lot of places in the Old Testament. Let me just read um, Jeremiah 1.14-15. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north... Disaster shall be loosed upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all of its walls, and around and against all the cities of Judah. This is judgment on Israel. This is language from the Old Testament. God also used other ungodly nations around Israel's borders. Also, you might see Jeremiah 25, 9, tribes from the north. Jeremiah 25, 26, kings of the north. Jeremiah chapters, man, you could read chapter 46 and 47. You're going to get all that language. Jeremiah 50, 41 to 42, people from the north. And Ezekiel 26, 7 to 11, King Nebuchadnezzar came from the north. This was the Babylonians. So again, John using this language. However, people have tried to say that this is hasn't happened yet. And this is going to happen. No, this is from the north. From the north. That's that's what that's what it says. He's not making up stuff. This is similar language. Most, if not all, of those also speak of army of horses, chariots arising from the north. War, invasion, conquering, judgment from Yahweh. There is a couple of standalone passages, and they are Habakkuk 1, 8-9. Their horses are swifter, swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. 
they they all come for violence in all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. Oh, by the way, from Israel's vantage point, the Euphrates River ran to the east as well as the north. There's a text called the Assumption of Moses 3.1. And in those days, a king from the east will come against them and cover their land with his cavalry. Amos 7.1 in the LXX. Army of locusts is pictured coming from the east. Same stuff, same group of people, not specifically just, just the, the enemy, the enemy from the north. Read Joel 2 and Jeremiah 46, and you will find judgment on Egypt and Israel, Euphrates, armies attacking, biting flies from the north, delivered into the hands of the people from the north, locusts. It's all there, nothing new under the sun, right? Now, we're going to jump to the final judgment, the, the final uh, trumpet. Uh, and we will cover what I'm about to skip over, okay? Now, why am I doing this? Revelation 10, 1 to Revelation eleven fourteen is a literary and theological parenthesis. Revelation eleven fifteen begins where Revelation 9, 21 ended. So after our break from this series, I will return to what we skipped over, I promise. But let's look at the final trumpet, Revelation eleven fifteen to 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple there were flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder an earthquake and heavy hail the seventh trumpet god establishes the consummated kingdom and executes the judgment it seems there is no action after the sound of the last trumpet the coming of god's kingdom is a woe on the enemies because it guarantees their demise and judgment in our view the seventh judgment what we just read is more severe woe than uh the fifth and sixth trumpets be, since it represents the climactic final judgment the time when all the unbelieving dead are judged and destroyed its brevity may be accounted for partly on the basis that the final judgment is a decisive event not covering a long period, whereas some of the earlier trumpet woes do cover extended periods of trial. That's a quote from G.K. Beale. So this harkens to back to Daniel 7. The four beasts, a.k.a. the kingdoms of the world, they are defeated and given to the Son of Man, whom has all authority and he reigns forever. In the Psalm of Solomon, 17, 1 to 5, which is Apocrypha, O Lord, you are king forever and further, because in you, our Lord, 
our soul will boast. And what is the time of a person's life upon the earth? According to his time is also his hope in it. But we will hope in God our Savior because the strength of our God is forever with mercy and the kingdom of our God is forever over the nations. You, Lord, selected David as king over Israel and you swore to concerning his you swore to him concerning his offspring forever that his royal place would not cease before you. So we see a change in power. Revelation 11:7 told us that and when they have finished their testimony the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And Daniel 7, 3, and the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from another. Daniel seven twenty one, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. But if we continue to read, we see that the Son of Man is given dominion. Daniel seven thirteen to 14, I saw in a night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Drop down to verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Drop down to verse 22. Until the ancients of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Drop down to verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and dominions, all dominions, shall serve him and obey him. And going backwards, Daniel two forty four. And in the days of those kings, that God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Now let's let's look at Revelation eleven verse eighteen. The nations raged, but your wrath came. In the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and, and for destroying the destroyers of earth. Verse 18 begins and ends with judgment of the ungodly. In the middle we read a reward is given to the servants. Reward is a deliverance, reigning with Christ, vindication of the saints by judgment of their persecutors recompense, make amends to someone for loss or harm suffered, compensate. Uh, let's, let's read um, Isaiah 40, 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and in his, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That just reminds, of, reminds us of Isaiah that John, when John is pinning verse 18, uh, Revelation 22, 12, same thing. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. The reign of the Lord's 
anointed. I'm going to read some passages from Psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Now, therefore, O king, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And that's Psalm 2, 1 to 2, verse 5, verse 10, 11 and 12. The Old Testament and the Jewish writings expected the dead unbelievers to be judged this is not a new concept daniel 12 2 and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and i saw the dead great and small standing before the lord and the books were opened then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it, uh, in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they have done. John later writes in Revelation 20, 12 to 13. Now, th th this might be uh, a bonus for you, but I want to read... Uh, Revelation 8, 8 again, uh, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and the third of the sea became blood. And I'm going to read Revelation 19, 2, for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immortality and has avenged on her the blood of the servants. Both, both, once again, both of these judgments is patterned after Jeremiah, who announced the judgment on Babylon. Remember, Jeremiah 51.25, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. In the Greek, it says the destroyed mountain, which destroyed the whole earth. And so Revelation 11.18 the nations raged, but your wrath came. We just read this. And the time of the dead to be judged for rewarding your servants uh, and those who feared your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Another way to put that is to destroy the ones destroying the earth. So once again, Babylon is a type of the eschatological world community or symbolism for an evil world system. They will come under judgment and be destroyed. We can see in verse 18 that Babylon is the great city. So let's go back and reread Revelation 11, verse 8 and verse 13. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Verse 13. And at that hour... There was an earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God in heaven. 
Now, G.K. Beale sums up this by saying the reward of the faithful is sandwiched literally between statements about judgment to indicate that part of their reward is the satisfaction arising from knowing that God has vindicated them by judging their persecutors. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, thunder, earthquake, hail, Revelation eleven nineteen. Now, most of that we know. Most of that we know. But the, the seventh trumpet may be built around a segment called the Song of Moses found in Exodus 15, 13 to 18. There, God is praised for redeeming his people by calling them into your holy resting place. When the nations heard about their deliverance, they became enraged, Exodus fifteen fourteen. In spite of the nation's rage, God brought his people into his habitation and sanctuary, Exodus fifteen seventeen. It is declared the Lord reigns forever and ever. Verse 18, see the verbatim parallel in Revelation eleven fifteen. So for you, I will read Exodus fifteen thirteen to 18. You have led in your steadfast love the people who you have redeemed, and you have guided them your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the clouds, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger to their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Psalm 99, 1-9. Now for another bonus, um, let's look at trumpets in the Old Testament. The imagery of trumpets has a number of connotations in the Old Testament and Jewish writings, which are determined by the context in which the image appears. In the Old Testament, trumpets predominantly indicate a warning to repent, judgment, victory or salvation, enthronement of Israel's king, eschatological judgment or salvation, 
or the gathering together of God's people, G.K. Beale. In the Old Testament, trumpets also announce an alarm that holy battle was to engage against Israel's enemy or against Israel as God's enemy. Let's read a few of these passages together. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands and tor uh, the torches and their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. Judges seven sixteen twenty two. Let's look at Jeremiah 4, 5 to 21, which is about the disaster from the north. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble and let us go into the fortified cities, warn the nations that he is coming, announce to Jerusalem, besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. How long must I hear the sound of the trumpet? Uh, Jeremiah 42.14 says, No, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet, nor, or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there. Jeremiah 51.27 says, Blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for war against her. Ezekiel 7.14, they have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all the, their multitude. Hosea 8.1, set the trumpet to your lips. Joel 2.1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Uh, Zephaniah 1.16, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities. Another quote from G.K. Beale. These allusions are an appropriate way to conclude the series of trumpets. Since the first six have been modeled on the Exodus plagues, which had led up to Exodus 15, furthermore, the appearance of the ark in Revelation 11:19, after an earthquake destroys parts of the city and before another reference to an earthquake calls to mind the fall of Jericho, which marked the successful conclusion of Israel's entry into the promised land after the exodus and the wilderness wanderings. So a little bit of a segue here. God was expected to judge all people on this day at the end of history. The trumpets are blown on this last day, not only to herald the last judgment, but also to confuse Satan. Uh, this would be found in the Talmud, Rosh Hashanah 16a. Now, wait a minute, to confuse Satan. Well, in the Talmud, Rosh Hashanah 16, it talks about um, a trumpet blasting, and uh, it's in order to confuse Satan for this double blowing of the shofar demonstrates Israel's love for the mitzvah uh, commandment or good deed. Uh, and this will confuse Satan when he brings his accusation against Israel before the heavenly court and the Jewish people will receive a favorable judgment. The trumpet symbol in post-biblical Judaism had a predominantly 
eschatological significance, uh, Isaiah 27, 13. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Joel 2, 1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on a holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Uh, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. Zephaniah 1.16, a trumpet, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This is where we, you have probably been taught when a trumpet is sounded, that's, you know, the day of the Lord, that God is, re Jesus is returning. Um, and this is where all this comes from. Uh, there's more Zechariah 9.14, then the Lord will appear over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. Psalm of Solomon 11, 1 and 4. Sound the trumpet in Zion with the signal trumpet of the holy ones. They are coming from the north to the merriment of their God. God gathered them from the islands afar. Fourth Ezra or 2 Ezra 6, 23. The trumpet shall sound aloud and when all hear it they shall suddenly be terrified as john uses um several old testament passages of course in revelation we also see a sevenfold trumpet pattern of the jericho story joshua and jericho and the walls coming down we see right trumpets were blown on six successive days on the seventh day, the trumpet blast brought down the wall, right? The ark followed the trumpet blowers. The ark was present, God's presence, then, and also here in Revelation eleven nineteen, We see the trumpets announcing the impending victory in a holy war. We have the seven trumpets blown by seven priests in Joshua 6, and here... In Revelation 8 and 9, it's seven angels who are priestly figures. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. Revelation 15, 5 to 6. Remember in Revelation 8, 3 to 5, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar of the, with, golden censer, with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, lightning, and earthquake. And then again, I'll remind you of uh, verse 19, specifically what we're talking about. Then God's temple in heaven was open and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, thunder, earthquake, heavy hail. Silence precedes the trumpet judgment in both Joshua and Revelation. This background clarifies two important ideas necessary for understanding the trumpet woes in Revelation. First, the emphasis with the trumpets is on judgment more than warnings to repent. 
In fact, the Jericho account confirms what we have seen from the theological background of the Exodus plagues. The trumpets blown by the priests, like the plagues on Egypt, are not warnings at all, but indicate ultimately only judgment, which God has already decided to bring on his enemies and those of his people. The second idea highlighted by the Joshua 6 model is that the first six trumpets in Revelation 8 and 9 are punishments preliminary to a climactic judgment. Strictly speaking, the first six trumpets in Joshua 6 announce the judgment to come on the seventh day, which climax with an earthquake. But they are also part of the process leading up to and necessary for what will be done on the seventh day, which culminates in the decisive judgment of Jericho, quote by G.K. Beale, and I just think it sums it up nicely. That's why I quoted him. The trumpets also indicate victory, victory for God in Jericho and victory for God here in Revelation. The trumpet judgments come instantly after Revelation 7. Remember the army of 144,000? remain faithful even in the face of persecution. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, Revelation 7.14 tells us. Like Jericho, the 144,000 did not directly fight, but God fought for them from heaven. Yahweh would typically fight Israel's wars from heaven using the elements of nature. Remember the ten plagues, the miracle at the Red Sea, Remember the sun, the moon, and hail were used to defeat the Amorites, Joshua 10, 10 to 15. Canaanites were defeated through a flood, Judges 5, 19 to 21. So we have literal victories, Exodus 7 through 15. We have figurative victories, Psalm 18, 4 to 19. And some are mixed, as in Judges 5. Trumpets depict God conducting holy war. In addition to all of this, remember that it was a very loud trumpet sound that summoned Israel to Mount Sinai to acknowledge Yahweh and his presence after the plagues of Egypt had been accomplished. Exodus 19.6, to include verses 13 to 19. We notice the Old Testament pattern of destructive plagues followed by peace and acknowledgement of the king of kings. The Exodus background is clear. Sounds, lightning, flashes, and quaking. We see both in the introduction, Revelation 8.5, and the conclusion, Revelation 11.19, of the trumpet series. Let's take a look. Exodus 19.16-18. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. That was Exodus 19:16-18. Let's look now at Revelation 8:5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And once again, and we're going to end with this, Revelation eleven nineteen, our key text, 
Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the halfway point of the Old Testament in Revelation. I hate to repeat myself, but John over and over has used passages from the Old Testament. He has used similar language so that his audience, the readers of his letter, would understand. He did not want them to be confused. That would be silly. He wanted them to understand and comprehend the letter. Not going to repeat myself any further. We have made it to a good stopping point in this series that we can take a break. If you need to review, do some review, re-listen to some of the series, get your notes properly ordered and, and edited, and so that you can look at this five years from now and read through your notes and have a have a great understanding of, oh, I remember this, that's right. Continue to send me questions and comments, and I will do my best to uh, communicate with you and answer them or, or point you to the answer. Obviously, don't know everything. That's clear. But thank you so much for your time, and until next time, thank you for listening to the Book of Jude.